I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next force social function. Today's topic is... The Bizarre Empire of the Wiggles. Who are the Wiggles? They are an Australian rock band, acting troupe, and preschool educational company that attempts to use music and performance to connect with children across the globe. They also are living examples of just grind it the fuck out as their relentless touring schedule and DIY film projects have resulted in literally hundreds of millions of dollars for them over their decades of experience. But what's even more surprising is that all of their success can be traced back to a single horrific tragedy. There's something about the word wiggle that just feels weird to me. Fame, the ever-elusive, omnipresent brass ring of American society. It undergirds many of our early childhood decision-making patterns, career choices, and for most of us, we live in stark relief of the fact that we will literally never, ever have a morsel of it. Unless you count the Andy Warhol truism that everyone will be famous for shitting themselves on the metro or whatever. Well, this desire to be seen, observed, and adored isn't just an American pastime. It's also the fuel of many cultures on this small blue planet, including Australia. 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 Our, our, uh, our stalwart base of Australian listeners are going to be really pissed at us. <laughs> yeah, but our New Zealand listeners are going to be fucking stoked. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which leads us to the subject of this episode. A group of performers who sacrificed their bodies and their relationships in pursuit of that moment in the spotlight. The one second of pure timelessness. The chance to be remembered. But in a cruel twist of irony, the people that these performers were breaking their backs for, more often than not, won't actually be able to remember them. That's not a legacy. That's a legacy. <laughs> the Wiggles is a children's musical droop. Droop? Droop. That's not a droop. That's a droop. <laughs> the Wiggles is a children's musical group. It was initially composed of... <laughs> I can see you moving closer to the mic out of the corner of my eye getting ready to do it. <laughs> it was initially composed of the performers Anthony Field, Philip Welcher, Murray Cook, Greg Page, and Jeff Fat. Before we get into this too deeply, uh, what is your what is your experience with the Wiggles? I'm assuming you were too old for them when they really blew up in America. I don't know about your kids. Do do does JJ the Fourth and Phoenix WK do they do they like the Wiggles? No, I think I think the Wiggles is is a little bit too far out of like cultural relevance to be like a default thing that kids would experience nowadays. Like I feel like you have. to. It has to be something that like you seek out to show your kids. Like I, I know they're definitely still around and still making stuff and still successful, but I don't think that it's like a pervasive thing where they just would by default be exposed to it. Like, you know, whatever PJ masks or, 
whatever. I was only aware of the Wiggles like when I was when they when they were really popular because like that what we're gonna get into when they got when they got huge in the United States in the late nineties like nineteen ninety nine or whatever it was. I mean, yeah, we, we we were well old too old for the Wiggles. So I was just aware of them as a thing that got really popular during that time. And they kind of stayed popular for a, a handful of years after that. And then I, and then they comp- I just completely forgot about their existence. And then I sent you this script and it all came flooding back to you. Well, it was more of that seeing that video in the group where I was like, oh, yeah, the Wiggles. I didn't I didn't know they were still a thing that was happening. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah, this this episode was inspired by our Facebook group, the Deep Cuts Facebook group. And um, somebody I don't even remember what we were talking about, but we were there was a big thread in there. People were talking about weird stuff or kind of maybe maybe it was like things that live in your head rent free. I don't don't remember what it was, but somebody posted a link to a a, like mini documentary about one of the Wiggles. And I watched it and was just like, oh, this is so interesting. We should do a weird episode about the Wiggles. And then I didn't realize how exhaustive and comprehensive their catalog is. Holy fuck, they've done so much shit, which we will talk about. But also this episode does not scratch the surface of what they've done because they have a very specific approach to content creation, which I'm sure we will talk about. You have to listen to our 12 part comprehensive Patreon exclusive Wiggles series. The Wiggles deconstructed. Yeah. You know who lives in my head rent free? Dave. Literally. He's he crawls inside of my ear at night. Yep. I'm I'm too poor to live in my apartment, so it's just I haven't had the heart to charge him. <laughs> Not yet, but we're getting there. I keep leaving dirty dishes around and you're just like, fuck man, I gotta start charging this guy rent soon. Every time every time I have to wash the dishes, I just I have to make myself cry and then the tears wash the dishes that because your sink is like right it's like in in my cheek and so i cry and then like it washes over it so the 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 group's history dates back to the 80s um when jeff fat and uh anthony field um were in a band with anthony field's brother paul called the cockroaches and they were like a somewhat successful indie pop band um in the 80s um we're gonna play one of their bigger hits uh it's called she's the one and uh they kind of had a couple pseudo hits they weren't like a a huge band but they were also not unknowns like they were around doing stuff and they weren't a one-hit wonder or anything let's listen to the cockroaches aka the wiggles after dark the baywatch nights of wiggles Sounds like if Crowded House's songs were written by the Charmin Bear. <laughs> that's, that's so good. It's there's it's just really bland. Like there's yeah. like no there's no edge to it. There's no there's no like pain or, or drama in it. It's just kind of like 
We got some studio musicians together and we're phoning in. Yeah, yeah. Truly destined to like either become a children's act or just go away because that was so bland. Yeah, it's very, very, it's very, very Wonder Bread. So yes, yeah, so that was their their kind of biggest single. She's the one, and unfortunately, um, Paul Field, um, the, Anthony Field, the the guy who will go on, he's kind of the main character in all of this. Um, and, and his brother, Paul Field was in the cockroaches with him and his daughter passed away of sudden infant death syndrome not long after she's the one came out. And it was just this huge shockwave through the whole band. Like, I feel like they were kind of like, you know, they're all really close friends and obviously two of them are brothers. And when this, you know, when his niece, Anthony Field's niece passed away suddenly, um, it kind of was just like everybody reevaluated what they wanted to do with their lives and um which is understandable like i it, a, a death like that especially of you know an infant is just so ugh, so meaningless you know it's not even like something happens or there was an accident it's just like tragedy pure and simple back in the 80s whenever a lot less was understood about sids and it was basically just like you're not supposed to put fucking blankets in like a crib with a baby. It's like something as simple as that. But is that a real thing? You're not supposed to put a blanket in a crib? Yeah, I mean, that's ba- SIDS is essentially just some SIDS cases are unexplainable of like they don't know exactly what happened. But most SIDS cases are just that the baby suffocated from a blanket because you're not supposed to have blankets in a crib with a baby at a certain age. You're not supposed to have pillows, anything fluffy or whatever you're supposed to just have them in a completely like the the crib is supposed to the out the the outer thing of the crib is supposed to be just completely like no material no padded anything and you swaddle them in a swaddle that is like wrapped tightly around their bodies and essentially the what you're trying to do is you don't ever want them to get their faces stuck in a blanket or anything because they can't move their heads and they can't roll over so if if they get something on their face, they just they can't do anything about it. They can't move. They can't get it off their face. And that's what a lot of SIDS cases are is babies will suffocate from getting their face stuck in a blanket or something. Suffocation. No breathing. <laughs> that's that's like that's way darker than the joke I thought you were going to make where I thought you were just going to go. I'm Dave Baker. <laughs> it's just- I just no. I just explain what SIDS are. And then the episode ends. <laughs> Uh, it's 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 not funny. It's really really sad that this happened. Yeah, I mean that's that's the obsessive thing that you have on your mind at all moments of your life in the early stages of having a baby. There's like a day when you're finally. It's like when they can move their necks and they can sit up, and you're just like, oh god, now I can stop being terrified every day, every moment, just like checking on them every three seconds when they're asleep and worried that they've turned over and their face is stuck in something or something like that. That's the thing that you're just obsessive about every every waking moment. It's so funny though, because like we've talked we've talked about this before, both on the show and off the show, about like how sometimes I kind of forget how different our lives are. Um because to me they're they're not because I don't have children. <laughs> So I don't, I don't think about, you know, a myriad of, of issues that you and, um, the lady of the manor <laughs> have to think about. But it's stuff like that where it's like, what the fuck? Like I, I, I didn't even know it was a thing that you needed to be worried about, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it is like for years, there was like this thing called SIDS where they're just like, babies just fucking die for no reason. Sometimes you just go into their room and they're dead. 
and it's like a terrifying epidemic. But then we basically figured out that it was just a lot of safety protocols that just we didn't understand to follow. Not putting padded things inside of cribs. Co-sleeping with babies is part of it, although a lot of people do still co-sleep and think that it's fine. And we did, but other people say that it's not fine. And it really all depends on like how heavy of a sleeper you are because you could like roll over onto a baby and then just like suffocate it and not wake up and not realize it. But that would that's not a thing that would have happened with us. But if we were heavy, heavier sleepers, we might have not done that. It, horrifying and also fascinating because it's just so not in my realm of experience. And basically, so I did, you know, this tragedy happens where the niece passes away suddenly and the whole band, the cockroaches disband. Everybody kind of enters this period of soul searching for a little while, understandably trying to figure out what they're going to do. And Anthony Field decides that he's going to go into early childhood education. He meets Murray Cook while studying at university and they're they're both going to be like early childhood educators. We kind of just, we hit it off because we knew a lot of, we had a lot of common sort of... Uh... Uh, experiences, I guess, and um, and also uh, at university, the course that we did, there was maybe 500 people, of which five were guys, so you kind of gravitated together a little bit. Um, and then I, I guess towards the end of university, we, Anthony had the idea of doing a, an album of music for children, and um, we kind of went from there, really. That's not a meat cute. That's a meat cute. <laughs> So this is, I just want to briefly touch on the way that that was described, right? And the kayfabe surrounding the Wiggles is really interesting to me because everything that they do, I I tend to believe it's coming from a, a real place of of a desire to help. And, and like, I don't think there's a malicious money grubbing side of this. It's they're doing what they think is best and it just became really popular. But because really young children are involved, everything they do in a public forum is very sanitized and nothing has hard edges. And when they give public speeches or when they're in public, not in character as, you know, the Wiggles, everything gets this, it just gets compacted way down. Like when you know the real story of like why Anthony had this idea to make children's music, it's pretty apparent like, oh, he went to school to try and give back after this traumatic thing that had happened to his family while in school, became creatively restless and decided, well, what if I used both of these passions to try and give back in a new way where I would take this early childhood education stuff that I've been learning about that I'm really interested in and my creative outlet of this really bland pop music that my brother and I used to make and put them together and maybe we could make children's music and that would be really fun and maybe kids would like it and we could probably help them learn those little idiots don't care how bland it is listen to anything those little fuckers they've never even heard led zeppelin they've never even heard that shit we're gonna be amazing to them honestly we're overselling it with this bullshit like we don't even have to try this hard we could just like we could just like make shit up on the spot and they would eat it up But like, but do you know what I'm saying though? Like, and it's this weird kind of like, it's a different type of kayfabe than we normally talk about. Because we normally talk about this like external focused self-aggrandizement or playing a character in order to get somewhere. You know what I mean? Like all the kayfabe is upward mobility centric where it's an individual attempting to make things 
seem bigger or more intricate or interesting than they are in order to reach the, in air quotes, next level, where all the kayfabe around the Wiggles is kind of, it's like safety kayfabe, where it's just like, everything's cool. Nothing's dangerous. It's all fine. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a similar thing to like, you know, the reason why, um, Steve, whatever his name is, like quit Blues Clues because he was going bald and he was basically like, I'm not like I'm not just going to go bald on this show like the kids will just be so confused and, and it'll just it'll bring so many questions of like, why is this happening? Why does he look different? So I'm just going to quit before this happens because I'm I'm not just going to like go bald on national TV for all these children because, it's, yeah, it's, it's like you, like when, when you're when you're in that field, you have this added layer of like, I have, to, I can never, I'm like responsible for like the fucking shaping the minds of these impressionable children who just will like think of me as a god more than people already think of celebrities as gods. And anything I do could have actual genuine consequences. So I, I have like this safety net of like at all times, everything that comes out of our camp must be just completely homogenous, completely by a set of strict rules. And we can never deviate from that. Which is interesting, too, because it, you're you're living under this very kind of monk-like existence. You know, you're choosing to forego all of these various earthly pleasures or whatever in order to present an image that is squeaky clean because you know that parents need to approve of whatever you're doing so that they will give the thing you're making to their children. But you're also like kind of looked down upon like the, you know, like what's that guy's name? Yaffe, Laffy, Yaffe, whatever the fuck the banana phone guy. Yeah, Raffy. Raffy, Raffy. Like it's no one is going to ever bring up that guy's name in like the greatest songwriters of all time. You know what I mean? No one's ever going to talk about the Wiggles as like the fucking best band ever because it's the content is made for younger viewers and we don't culturally there's like a specific breaking point where even like us like a rung above that music that's made for like teenagers or like younger kids and like TV shows that are made for younger kids like Adventure Time or any of these shows they're like genuinely enjoyed by adults certain people can find genuine interest and enjoyment in these things that are designed for much younger kids and then there's like a specific breaking point there's a line in the sand where once you cross that and it goes down into the specific age bracket of kids that something is intended for, where it's like, if you genuinely were interested in this, people would just look at you really strangely. If you like loved the wiggles, people would be like, what the fuck is wrong with this person? Yeah, I think especially because there's a delineation between content that is made in air quotes for all ages. Like a Pixar movie is an all ages movie. It's a movie that's made both to appeal to children and to function for adults, whereas the content that we're talking about is exclusively children's narratives. And that's, I think, the the disconnect, right? Where societally, it doesn't matter how successful it is or how um, award-winning, if it is aimed just at children, inherently, it must be inferior, which is interesting. I, I don't know how I feel about that because some of the stuff that I really enjoy was, at one point, exclusively aimed at children, um, but I don't know that the Wiggles, yeah, I, I don't know if maybe I don't, I'm going to withhold my opinion on that because there's some interesting stuff that we're going to talk about later. In 1991, Anthony Field took it upon himself to create a musical album that would encompass many of the concepts 
that he'd learned in his preschool teaching classes. The album was dedicated to his niece. The band quickly began touring in support of the album, and before they knew it, they quit their jobs as teachers to perform as the Wiggles full-time, which I've just condensed like three years into like three sentences. Like basically they all, they're all at school together, or a few of them are at school together, um, but then a few of them are from the band The Cockroaches. They graduate school, they get jobs, they make this album, they all kind of get together, they start touring around local areas in um, Australia where they lived and quickly it, it kind of started to take off and they self-produced this album. And at one, one of the, one of their family friends had a kid and they gave it to that kid and the kid listened to the whole album eight straight, straight through eight times in a row and kept asking like, play it again, play it again, play it again. And that was kind of like the light bulb moment of like, maybe we should try and like tour. I think this, there might be something here. Yeah. This, this kid is catatonic. Like they just, they just took him to the hospital. Like I, th- I think we have lightning in a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Most Americans probably think that the Wiggles, uh, think of the Wiggles as just tall dudes in colored shirts. But in fact, they also have anthropomorphized sidekicks and supporting characters within the universe of the Wiggles. Um, so you, you know, you got, you got the four, the four guys, or is it five? Whatever. You got the, you've got the multiple dudes in the shirts. And then there's Dorothy the dinosaur, who's kind of a, it's exactly what she sounds like. She, it's a dinosaur in a dress and she comes into the shows, uh, the live performances and the TV shows later and gives kind of, uh, lessons of the day. And she's a character that, you know, talks to the kids and the wiggles and blah, 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 blah. Um, the next one whose design is fucking awesome is Henry the octopus. Henry fucking rules because he's the suit actor has like the octopus head as a mask. And then the top legs of the octopus are the actor's arms. And then there's other legs that are strapped to his, the front of his chest and the, his back. And he like moves rhythmically back and forth from the waist and gravity like pulls the arms out. So he like, dances with all eight legs at once and it's like super trippy looking and if the mask was just like even slightly cooler it would be a really great costume like it's a fine like kids costume as it is but the idea of just having those legs hanging there that he then like sways around with is just super creepy and cool um wags which is the anthropomorphic dog and then uh (laughs) There's a there's also a human character called Captain Feathersword who's very gregarious and you you want to guess what his in air quotes weapon of choice is AR15. Yes, it's a feather AR15. Um and then and then Hillsmer Spachademon, the space demon. Yeah. Yeah, Hillsmer Spachademon started as a background character on Yeah, that's where we, where we found him. I plucked him out of obscurity. He was he was a he was a background character actor on the Wiggles. Yeah. A day, a mere day player. Yeah. And then we gave him a walk on role in, in that one episode of Bacon and Legs, Miami Nights. And then he just somehow ended up moving in with us. Honestly, it wasn't worth it at all. No, it really wasn't. We cast him to play, uh, bicycle kid number four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they, they, t- they go on this initial tour and it's, it's actually pretty successful. They, they're very surprised by the level of feedback almost right out the gate. They do it habitually over the next year or so. It starts really building some steam. They quit their day jobs. They start doing this full time and touring around, uh, performing for kids. 
And there's something kind of romantic about that idea to me, almost kind of like a, um, like an old vaudeville show, like, you know, taking the show on the road. Like I would, I would love for there to be a mystery tree house tour where it was you and me and Hillsmer touring the country, setting up in weird theaters and comedy, comedy venues and like the backs of people's houses and just like getting up and <laughs> performing a routine. I don't even know what we would do. One of these days. One of these Daves. Yeah, I really, I really like that idea. And I, and it's cool to see that it actually like worked for them because off the back of these initial tours, they flipped that money into new records that they self-produced and then flipped that money into VHS video versions of the records. Cause this was kind of at the, at the time period where the VHS market and the, ho- the home video market was so big that distributors were just hungry for any type of content. So you could just like show up and be like, ah, I got this video that I shot in my backyard and I got a set and some fucking dog puppets. And they'd be like, yeah, sure. We'll distribute it. Fuck it. Just give it to us. And like they're, they become very successful off of this business model of touring, 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 immediately get off tour, make an album, make a VHS of that album. That's basically just the songs from the album with like skits or a little bit of narrative thrown in that they all produced themselves with their family members and a couple like people to help them. And they like built the sets themselves in a warehouse in Australia. They start getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until they kind of attract the attention of ABC. And ABC is like, hey, bro, you want some money to like produce some of these fucking VHS things? We think we got some Ninos we can show them to. Listen, we just broke our contract with ICP. They were on our record label. We just fired them. We're trying to go more family friendly, trying to get away from the, the the wicked clowns. We're not down with the clown anymore. So we're ready to be down with the octopus. It's funny though, because the the origins and the arcs of both groups actually aren't that dissimilar. You know, like Violent J has this kind of dark traumatic past where he was in trouble with the law, trying to get his shit together, was in a gang and then fell in love with wrestling. It didn't really work, which is kind of like Anthony Field falling in love with music. And it kind of works. But, you know, then there's this tragedy that derails him. And then they they kind of like decide that they're going to make something happen, which is kind of what these guys did. Like they were kind of like, we're going to make the Wiggles a fucking thing. And also all their songs are about murdering hillbillies. <laughs> yes, exactly. But the, their, their careers, you know, in the equivalent of ICP signing that first big record contract in 1997, the Wiggles get their first really big international break. Like they, they're, they're a known commodity in Australia and they're really, you know, they're churning it out on that kind of like B list kids circuit where they're performing all the time, making these records in VHSs. But in 97, they get the opportunity to make, um, a feature film, which is crazy because usually it's like, the they like a thing like this will make a movie after having a huge meteoric rise to success like this thing gets really popular and then they're like now it's time for fucking choochie woochie the movie (laughs) well i mean they were really popular in australia just not internationally um and i think the 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 case study of australia was used as leverage of like look what we did in australia by ourselves we make this movie and we can leverage it into a global reception for this movie. That's not a cultural phenomenon. That's a cultural phenomenon. 
So the movie was released on December 18th, 1997, and written by Greg Truman and directed by Dean Koval. The film was produced off of a budget of $31 million. That's a lot of kangaroo nuggets. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. Does that mean in Mc- like are you saying like McDonald's in Australia serves kangaroo nuggets? No, it's that's their money. They just use can- that's the that's their currency is kangaroo nuggets? Yes. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> um you know it's 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 a this step up it's a sizable step up from their you know their previous DIY VHS releases. Um and it really kind of shows in the visuals for the movie. Um, cause there's like a kind of a delicate balancing act where you want the movie to feel like the VHSs and the air quotes world of the Wiggles pr- prior, but at the same time, like that shit is, it's shitty on purpose. So how do you transition that into a $31 million movie? Um, we're going to find out in a minute cause we're going to watch the trailer, but the high octane synopsis for the feature film is amateur magician, Wally the Great played by Tony Harvey tries to become a better magician by stealing Greg's magic wand, but is confronted by Dorothy the Dinosaur, who believes the Wiggles have forgotten her birthday, while in fact, they have been planning a surprise party, which does not sound like the premise for a movie at all. At all. At all. That sounds like, you know, those those viral, I fed 120 hours of X-Men movies into an AI, and this is the scene it wrote. It sounds like that. I mean, it, it sounds like the premise for like a two minute web short. Yeah. Like this is the new video that Wiggles posted today. I like that logo. It's time to party. Let's dance. The Wiggles are at the movies. It's the Wiggles movie. It's Wiggle time. Join Greg, Murray, Jeff, Anthony, and all your favorite characters. Dorothy the Dinosaur, Wags the Dog, Henry the Octopus, and Captain Feathersword the Friendly Pirate. It's a non-stop song dance extravaganza. Today is Dorothy the Dinosaur. Can we please have the Mystery Treehouse movie just be that? You got $31 million to spare? I've got $31 million kangaroo nuggets. Everybody's twisting, Can you With all your favorite songs and fantastic new ones. All the fun. Oh, yeah! All the excitement. The magic wand! It's gone! And all the magic. Have a wiggling good time and join in the fun at the Wiggles movie. Yeah, I mean, I I think it goes without saying that I'm personally not really into that, but I would say, you know, the whole thing is aimed at little kids, but uh, the production design is actually really cool to me. Like the stop motion or clay, clay design of the environments when the big red car is like driving through 
you know, uh, I'm not a really big fan of those big wide shots of the set where it's just like bland, almost like a the recording like a theater production. Um, I probably would have preferred it to be a little bit more cinematic in its aesthetic, but that's also not what they're trying to do. Um, I don't know. What what do you what do you think, Andrew? I think I spoke from I already gave my opinion. You like it that much that you would want the Mystery Treehouse to be that. Just that exact, like, just deep fake our faces onto it. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I, I, I pretty much like the same thing where, like, that shot of them driving when, like, and it's like the landscape is like all stop motion, like, claymation. And then they're just kind of like composited onto it in a car. Like, that aesthetic is really cool. Um, and just, yeah, and just like the, the set design and the colors are cool looking, but then, you, know, you like you said, it's just like it's the plot is like for three year olds. So it's like it's just it's like not interesting at all. It's also funny to me that the amount of this face that everyone does, every acting beat that any of the Wiggles do, does is just like eyes open, mouth agape, head turning. That's just all they do. You really become aware of how that's necessary when you actually have kids and you're actually like having them watch things because you know I, I was thinking about this the other day it's kind of funny because i had played some spider-man thing for jj the fourth and you know watching something as an adult or whatever you know you're watching these things and you're like oh yeah like thought it was cool the how conservative they were with showing peter parker in the spider-man suit and i think that the way that they strategically use that character and revealed it you know it, it actually made it more effective whenever he was on screen and all this stuff like that but then whenever you're watching it with your kid you're just like fuck when are they going to show him in a costume it's just people sitting around talking just get to the spider-man stuff like you you become sharply aware of the completely different type of viewing experience that a thing needs to be when it's for a little kid where it's like you just you're just like it's just people talking get show a monster in an interesting kind of also similarly ICP-esque business maneuver the in order to get the film greenlit and really like try and ensure the fact that it would be financially successful old dirty uh Anthony Field Philip Welcher Murray Cook Greg Page and Jeff Fat all acted for free and honestly that miracle song and the whole like magnets how do they work that would work way better as a wiggle song it really would oh my god yeah yeah, it really, really would. Unfortunately, I don't think the movie was quite as big a success as they wanted it to be internationally. Um, I think it did end up recouping its money on VHS releases and everything, but um, it was not the holy shit, this is Barney the movie or, you know, any of those other kind of like big transition like the Muppets or any of those. Dabney do good the movie. Yeah, Dabney do good the movie. Yeah, we, we use that paycheck to build the Mystery Treehouse. No shit. In 1998 would prove to be a huge year for the Wiggles. They were involved in a Disneyland showcase where Lyric Studios producers, the company that makes Barney and Friends, discovered the group and wanted to partner with them to be an opening act for Barney's Trans America tour. Um, so this is kind of like, you know how they always say you, you should, you, you need to, you, you spend decades preparing for that one moment, you know, where you're in an elevator with somebody and you have your script or you're in a meeting with somebody and you can say you've done X, Y, and Z. But it's Barney. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, you say it sarcastically, but like they literally made like hundreds of millions of dollars off of the connection with Barney. <laughs> But it's literally Barney in the elevator. Oh, but it's literally Barney in the elevator. Yes, yes. I 
I don't even remember what Barney sounds like other than I love you, you love me. Would you like to be my opening act so that we can make a bunch of money together? The actor who played me would go on to become a tantric sex therapist. <laughs> Is that true? Oh, I love that. Um, so, but, but basically they, they, you know, the Wiggles get discovered in air quotes, discovered, you know, they're like a multi-million dollar band with a $31 million movie. <laughs> They synergized with the brand, the corporate brand of Barney and Friends to create a value proposition that would lead to great uh, uh, return on investment for both uh, ventures jointly. Exactly. And um, they do they They, they start touring uh, with Barney uh, in North America. And over the next two years, um, everything just kind of opens up for them and they, they start ballooning in popularity. So in the year 2000, uh, the Wiggles VHS sales just like skyrocket. They become wildly popular with kids all across the U.S. And Anthony Field basically just attributes all of their success directly to the partnership with Lyric Studios. Um, because all of the Wiggles trailers for their VHSs, there's like self-produced reissues that Lyric would put out were on all the Barney VHSs. So all these little kids that were like super jazzed on Barney would see the Wiggles and be like, what the fuck is that? I want to get down with those turtlenecks. There's a different kind of shittier looking dinosaur in that one. What the fuck? There's a pirate who tickles people? Buy it for me. Mom, mom, buy me the tickling pirate. Mom, I want that. The tickling pirate. I must have it. And, and they did. They bought it. They bought it. They really did. They didn't kind of come out the gate, though. This was like a two-year process. So they, they started out only really with distribution at FAO Schwartz and um, a store chain called Zany Brainy. Um, and uh, it quickly started ballooning and picking up steam, picking up more steam. And then Walmart and Amazon, this is back in you know 2000 when Amazon was not everything. Um, but the, when when Walmart and Amazon both picked up uh, the Wiggles for distribution, that's when everything like really took off. And they, they were like, oh, man, we're about to have a fucking jet fuel ride here for a minute. We got distribution at Walmart and then some Internet thing, whatever, whatever that is, whatever the fuck Amazon is. They uh, they had to produce nine DVDs to keep up with demand over the next three years. Um, so off of all of this hype, Disney started to take notice and they started rerunning the old Australian Wiggles TV shows, uh, episodes on the Disney channel in the mornings. And they got so popular that they started rerunning them multiple times a day to try and keep up with demand from little kids all being like, where the fuck are the Wiggles? I fucking want some Wiggles. Give me the fucking Wiggles. Give me the fucking Wiggles. I already watched Out of the Box. I already watched fucking PB&J Otter. I need the Wiggles. <laughs> um, so, so you know, it, it, at the beginning of 2002, um, the group signs a, 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 a new deal to produce, wait for it, not one, not two, not three, but four seasons of a show. And they shoot it all, they shoot all four seasons in 2002. Um, and when asked about it at the time, Anthony Field said, We knew we were involved with something extraordinary. D- uh, John Lennon? John, John Lennon, is that you? <laughs> Not Australian at all. It came out as British for some reason. <laughs> Cro- uh, let me, let me get into it. Crikey, crikey. That's not a knife. That's a knife. 
We knew we were involved in something extraordinary. That's not extraordinary. This is extraordinary. ABC said that it was the most successful property that they'd ever represented in the preschool genre. That's not a successful preschool genre property. This is a successful preschool genre property. During the mid-2000s, that was kind of the the high point of their fame and fortune, with the group earning a purported $45 million a year. But I mean, Dave, to be fair, they had to split it four ways. No, including the dinosaur five or six ways i doubt that pirate was taking a cut he was like he was an unpaid intern yeah yeah i mean that is so much money i'd be happy to split 45 million dollars four ways that sounds great i could do a lot i could do a lot of bullshit with uh with fucking whatever that is 10.125 uh million dollars a year I don't know, man. Maybe a meteor would accidentally crash into that dinosaur's house. That's all I'm saying. From here, over the next decade or so, the band continues a grueling tour habit, has multiple new TV shows and a mountain of straight-to-video films, and close to 30 albums that get released. They were so successful that they were even attempted to be localized for various regions. There was an an, uh, attempt at making a Latin American Wiggles, which actually made it to air and lasted for a couple seasons, I think. Let's see. Already more diversity in this Wiggles. It's two two women. And a, a greater age range, too. Yeah, Fernandito. Look at their hats. They're all in this little, like... A boat wearing little cute little hats. There's like a, a real ass freeway driving this Wiggles car. I wonder what these people went on to do. I that's I always think of that same thing when I watch this. I'm just like, where are these people? What are they doing now? Is it like, is this a part of their identity, or is it just kind of like, oh yeah, there was that couple months that I was in that warehouse on a green screen wearing. They a- still just perform as the Wiggles at like malls, like just burnt out husks of malls. It's interesting, though, because this feels like one of the things that I personally don't respond to about the Wiggles is that it feels so everything has the same exact pitch all the time and there's no different energy ever. It's always this. And at least that felt like it had like a little bit of different layers going on. Um, And then they also had a Taiwanese spinoff Wiggles, which this is pretty interesting as well. I was... Like, those CG elements look like the exact same CG elements as... But also, look at that set, dude. I love that set. (laughs) Cardboard set. That's interesting how there's, like, they just have, like, a... They have, like, just, like, a package of, like, this is what the Wiggles looks like. And they just, here, take this and just recreate it. Like a a Bible. 
So far though, the one I like the most is the the Taiwanese one because their sets are practical. Like there's just something about, even though it's the same kind of aesthetic of like little kid neon green German expressionism, it, it just feels better when it's a real thing as opposed to like the sterile blankness of the digital green screen stuff from some of the other ones. <laughs> so one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is is uh, one of the Wiggles' like main educational strategies is that they they really believe in talking to little kids. So there's a lot of fourth wall breaking stuff where the actors or performers will like look into camera and ask children questions, and then the children theoretically will respond. Um, and this episode is about the yellow wiggle having hair problems and he keeps looking at the camera and asking questions of little kids or something i don't know putting stuff the plot in his is hair. just that his hair looks like shit that's what the, that's what this episode's about and now he has a marie antoinette wig yeah it's, it's interesting though the different permutations and and yet same weird sterile energy that they all have yeah it like it, yeah it's got it's got the same vibe yeah you would you would you expect that like across the cultural barriers that they would have like a different aesthetic to how they execute the show and there's just like cultural differences in the way that they act and talk to kids and things like that but it's like the same yeah I, and I believe there were two other ones that were in development where I think there was a germ or no a, there was a Japanese Wiggles show and there was somewhere else maybe a brazilian one or a mexican one i don't remember what the other country was another latin american one i I don't don't remember or south american one i don't i don't remember where they were but yeah there was basically attempts to continue doing this and then ultimately disney who was kind of footing the bill for all of this stuff was like you know what it's actually cheaper and the shows are more successful if we just dub you guys and use the existing shows and the wiggles were like all right yeah cool fuck it whatever um and so they just made kept printing more money <laughs> yeah i mean you you would, you would kind of think that maybe that would be the first idea yeah like let's not let's not produce these uh, like entirely different whole shows or building sets and shit let's just let's just dub these yeah um uh, we've already established these little idiots will watch anything <laughs> you think they're gonna be like oh it's it's not authentic to our language it's just they've just overdubbed it like they don't give a fuck <laughs> uh you know over the, over the basically the, the next ensuing decade um a couple of the cast members for the wiggles come and go and each each the, the wiggles are kind of usually defined by era depending on who the the kind of alternate era uh, wiggle is kind of like in the way that Weezer is like, oh yeah, the original bassist was only there for the first two albums, and then they had that weird guy, and then they've had the the, the third guy ever since, or whatever the fuck. I don't pay attention to Weezer that much, but you know what I'm saying, like. Oh yeah, or or how uh, for a time uh, Jenny Frianca was was uh, the drummer in the Dead Boy Detectives. Yeah, yeah. So a few members came and went over the next decade. However, things really took a turn when in 2012, the Wiggles got a good old-fashioned X-Men style reboot. Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our facebook group that's deep cuts podcast on facebook and the deep cuts podcast facebook group also follow us on instagram at deep cuts pod 
Act 2, The Elvis of the Wiggles. In mid-2012, an announcement would be made about the fate of the Wiggles. Paige, Fat, and Cook would be retiring from the group, and they would be replaced by three new people, Emma, Lockie, and Simon. Anthony Field would be the only member staying with the group. The fuck it, I love cashing checks of the Wiggles. You know, physically it takes its toll. I, w- I was shocked the guys were pulling the pin because I, I just didn't want to. I just never thought about that. Greg, Jeff and Murray will retire from live performance, but Anthony will stay in the big red car. And he said, but actually we're starting a new lineup. And I was thinking, wow. Next year, Anthony will be back with three new wiggles and we'd like to introduce you to them right now. I said, well, who are you going to have? Oh, it must be Simon. Firstly, the red wiggle, Simon Price. Oh my God, another Papa Pricey. I said, well, who else? And he said, Lockie. I was like, of course, Lockie. Lachlan Gillespie, we call him Lockie Wiggle. I said, well, what about the other position? Are you going to audition? And he said, no, we we want you. And for the first time in wiggle history, a female wiggle! <laughs> the glass ceiling was shattered. <laughs> I love the way he said that, as if it was like some <laughs> revolutionary, like, culturally important moment. <laughs> I also love that he's like, for the first time ever, a female wiggle, except for the other female wiggles who were in the wiggles of Latin America and the wiggles of Taiwan. But those aren't real. Changed dramatically in, in one go and they, we didn't have anything to back ourselves up with either. The first year of performing was tough. The big question was, okay, will this new lineup work? We were touring on a shoestring budget. We were playing quarter empty halls, half empty halls. There was quite a few moments as a group where we thought this actually might not work. It's like when it's like when David Lee Roth left Van Halen and was replaced by Sammy Hagar. Early performances, when I look back to them now, I just laugh because, (laughs) you know, they're all trying to find their feet. I think it probably took them around maybe like at least two years to really settle in to who they wanted to be. Emma's never had singing lessons. She was actually really worried to start with about singing. She has cried in here quite a few times because she just didn't like the sound of hearing her voice. That would be the, the only time I'd going, what are we going to do? Because we can't not have Emma sing. And I said to Emma, you, you have to sing. But Emma and Lockie had that real lovely chemistry and Lockie gently would bring it out of her. They're like serenading each other with like little kids songs and this like weirdly (laughs) intimate like they have this chemistry, this animal magnetism, right? Now she's you know right on pitch. She's beautiful. They came out on stage for one of the concerts and the applause for Emma as the female wiggle stopped the show for several minutes and 
Anthony looked at her, she told me, and, and he said, it's changed. It's changed now, and it's going to go on like this. Emma's played a huge part in the revitalisation of the Wiggles. Australia, we're as big as we possibly have been in the past, you know? And that new audience of little ones, that's their Wiggles. They don't know the original guys now. And Lucky. Come on, join us. With Emma and Lucky, come join the fun. It's a wonderful place to be. Right from the get-go, we just got on straight away and we just we just got each other. Pretty goat, where's her coat? Can you find it while she's running along? We had the best conversation and I just remember going home that night and I was on a total high and I wrote two little songs about goats, which I know she loves. I sent them to her on the little voice memo on the phone and she loved them and that was the, where the friendship really started, which was so lovely. I, I knew instantly that we were going to get on. And <laughs> I knew the moment that I sent her those songs about goats that we were going to fuck. <laughs> If you've got a relationship with someone, great. We just don't want to know about it. We did really make a point to keep the relationship quite quiet in the initial stages because we both felt that the most important thing at that time was the group and the band and, and everyone was just starting to work out who the group was. We actually got a call here at the office one day that someone had spotted us in Brisbane holding hands at a market. I remember feeling sick. Then we had to kind of come out that we were together. A wedding and a baby definitely down the track, but we, we've got a massive year this year touring, and, but all those exciting things definitely, definitely to come. Lockie rang me up when they got engaged and he kind of wanted my seal of approval. I remember being so random and so nervous on the phone. I said, I, I just wanted to ask you, um, I'm just going to ask, ask Evan to, to marry me. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm not your dad. You know, it's, it's kind of funny and lovely as well, you know, <laughs> like as if Anthony's going to say anything but you, other than you beauty, you know, but that's classic Lockie. Our relationship fell apart when we realised that the only thing we actually had in common was the goat. Once the goat was out, we realised there was nothing left for us. Well, you know, I mean, there is the fact that there's like a $45 million annual gross revenue on the line. And if things go sideways, uh, you know. Yeah, you never never want to never wanna mix romance and singing about flying purple walruses. <laughs> so basically, the original Wiggles do a, a farewell tour all through the end of 2012. And then in 2013, the new Eagle, Wiggles era begins. And as you heard them talking about, the, the initial reception was not necessarily particularly great i love the shower era of wiggles <laughs> yeah yeah the the i'm more of a high say era uh wiggles fan personally um i feel like they really nailed the suits we can both agree that the millennium era of the wiggles is not the strongest no it's not but i do love godzilla against mecha godzilla wiggles <laughs> So, you know, as we had, as you heard them talking about the initial reaction was pretty, pretty negative. 
Um, and one of the things that we didn't, they didn't touch on in those interviews is that there's 1400 Wiggles songs. And you know how little kids are with music where they just want to listen to the same thing over and over and over and over again. So it's not like this new era of Wiggles couldn't sing the old songs. So they had to memorize like a shitload of music. Um, and then also the fact that like the internet was super unkind to Emma and was just like, there's no room for fucking women in the wiggles, which is mind blowing because, you know, it's so it's so normal that that happens. I mean, we we just were having a fucking whole argument about that on on the Facebook group. But that's like almost like a, a universal rule is that if, a, you know, if 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 something involving a woman is posted on the Internet within seconds, they're going to get some kind of harassment, whether it's creepy sexual comments or like comments like criticizing them or or saying horrible things about them in some way. But even when it's about little kids stuff, like even when that, even when it's like they're a, a children's group that sing like fun songs about fucking goats and shit and they're intended for preschoolers, even then the, the woman is going to get like harassment. That's fucking insane. <laughs> Yeah, like, like, what is it? Is is it like, is it just like weird, creepy ass parents who are just like, my, I don't know why they'd be Australian, but my my three year old isn't gonna watch any women singing about walruses. <laughs> it's so stupid too, because there's literally been, as we were joking about, literally been women in the fucking Wiggles, like. Ah, that's just fucking crazy to me that even in this realm of like preschool content for little kids where they're just singing goofy songs, there's still people being like fucking forced wokeness is ruining our f- wiggles. Yeah, I, I, I got nothing. Um, But, you know, despite the initial backlash, they, they persevered and Emma specifically became uh, often referred to as the Elvis of the wiggles where she's more popular than any of the current cast or the previous cast. And uh, she was, she's so popular that she basically was the linchpin into them getting a new TV show for the first time in seven years on the air called Ready, Steady, Wiggle. Did Captain Feathersword need to come back? Couldn't couldn't he have been hung on the shelf? The funniest thing about that to me is like the Wiggles have like their their hand gesture for in air quotes the Wiggles is they do finger guns like this is wiggling, which once again kind of feels a little bit like there's a there's a crossover with ICP because like Juggalo became their big thing where it was like but it wasn't always that way. It was kind of like just a thing that kind of happened by happenstance where he just like said it during a concert and it caught on. Cause I feel like some of the early stuff we were watching, like some of the earlier videos, they weren't doing that. And now they're like doing it like all, like that's all they're doing the whole thing. And I feel like it must've been a similar thing where it just like it, at some point it just kind of like slowly got canonized that that was their thing that they did, even though it didn't necessarily start out that way. Yeah. I, it's 100% that finger guns are the juggalos of the wiggles. <laughs> Wiggle, 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 wiggle. 
Much motherfucking octopus love. They Emma Emma and Lockie get married, and um, about a year after, Emma starts having some serious health issues. I started to have bleeding every day. However, when you're on the tour and when you travel so much, your cycle goes out of whack. And so I think initially, when the bleeding started to continue, I just thought maybe I was really in tune with other women. And so I thought that my cycle was just hopping onto other people's. Um, I thought, oh, well, I like that girl, hop onto her cycle. And I, I honestly, I just didn't think that much of it. It's massaging my feet though. <laughs> you know, you have a bit of pain, you keep going. You just sort of get on with it because no one really gives you a real lot of sympathy being a girl, to be quite honest. <laughs> One time we were filming here in the studio and I started to feel incredibly sick. So I just excused myself from filming and went upstairs to the bathroom and oh look, I have no idea what came over me, but I completely collapsed on the floor. She was absolutely just in agony. She just couldn't get up. She didn't know why. She just was in so much, such strong cramps that she just couldn't move. So that was really frightening. Sometimes when I saw her, I'd say, are you OK? Do you need to go see a doctor? I'm OK. I'm all right. I'm OK. I don't know why. Maybe she's just wanted the show to go on and didn't think about herself enough. I did try and suggest, you know, maybe we should see a doctor. But, um, yeah, what does a mother know? <laughs> I was just so busy, I just kept putting it off. Finally, my naturopath insisted on me seeing a specialist, and then I ended up getting an appointment with Jason Abbott. Hey, Emma, how you doing? Good. Come on. I like they're telling us the name of the specific doctor that she so, saw. Tell me a little bit about what's been happening. Well, I've had quite a lot of blood pretty much every day since September. Mm -hmm. Once I'd seen Emma taking a history and I saw her ultrasounds, it was absolutely crystal clear that she had endometriosis. And she's just been ignoring it and pushing it by the wayside. It's like cramping in my legs, nauseous. Endometriosis is a disease where tissue similar to the lining of the uterus grows outside the uterus and it can attach onto all kinds of tissue including the ovaries, the bowel, the bladder, the back of the uterus and the lining parts of the pelvis. And those lesions can grow and they cause pain and they can lead to infertility. I was really surprised when we went to see Jason how full on he said it was. That was a big, big kind of well moment. 10% of women have endometriosis in Australia. That's 730,000 women just like Emma who have this disease. So the way that we would approach it, we'd do a laparoscopy. This is a minimal access approach. So you've got small I needed surgery, but I just had no idea how to put that in our schedule. I mean, we have been touring non-stop since I started. So, you know, to get more than a couple of days off, I just thought that that just wasn't gonna be possible. I went to approach Anthony and the minute I started talking, honestly, I didn't even finish a sentence and he was like, go, you need to do that now. I'd actually tried to push it further back and he was like, no, 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 now, <laughs> do it now. <laughs> Hello, it's Emma here. It's so good to see you. Wheels have always been 
honest, we're, we're humans. I'm sorry I can't be at some of the shows coming up. I'm feeling a little bit sick and I've got to go to the hospital to feel a bit better. We made the announcement because Emma is the most popular Wiggle by far and they've got to know why she probably won't be at some shows. I know you're here this morning to share some very personal health news. I knew that if I had taken break and not said anything, everyone would think I was pregnant. I didn't even think about being so blunt, but apparently I was. <laughs> I just thought it was a really bad period and just really heavy bleeding, and I didn't really think much of it. I didn't think there was any way to sugarcoat it. I guess you would love to perhaps use this, this situation to turn it into a positive and educate us a bit more yeah. about it. Absolutely, and providing awareness for so many... Once I'd seen the interview with Emma on today, I told her that she'd done more for endometriosis in one interview than I'd done in my last 20 years. I was with her the day of the surgery, which was a very um, nerve-wracking day. Endometriosis is staged uh, one, two, three and four, depending on its severity. One is the least, four is the worst. This next one is going to be right literally. We got in and, uh, as I had anticipated with Emma, hers was a stage four disease. Both ovaries were affected. They were stuck to the walls of the pelvis and they're stuck to the bowel. So that's pretty bad disease. Super. Happy? Happy. We're all done. I always say, if you're going to have to have a surgery, do it once, do it well. And in Emma's case, it went very beautifully. They went deep on endometriosis in this Wiggles documentary. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the other thing that's really interesting to me is how choreographed it all is. Like, I think it's great that they went this in-depth into... Yeah, I think I, I was kind of... I guess I ultimately understand that they kind of did it on purpose because they were in the same way that they were talking about it in the documentary. They were just kind of trying to shed light on it but i was i was thinking the whole time i was like man they're really like they got the doctor like interviewing and they're going to the office and they're they shot her like her checkups that she had like they're they're going like in depth into this they're getting granular with this part of that is that it's fucking staged like that's not the first meeting that they yeah, had. yeah well, 100 percent. yeah it's uh, that's not that wasn't literal that wasn't literally real but they but they like recreated it and like created this whole thing where they're showing the the checkups and then they're interviewing the specific doctor about it. It, it. It's, it is, it's strange that they went that in depth for a documentary about the Wiggles. Like obviously they would cover it, but just to go into like, to take a, a detour and just be like, let's give you a mini documentary about endometriosis in this Wiggles documentary. Well, especially the thing that's the thing that jumped out to me is how blatant it was that the doctor was like, I will only participate if you say my full name and if I'm on camera with this and this, like, there's obviously he was like, I'm not doing this shit for free. And he, like, fancies himself like a really kind of charismatic guy. And he's, like, totally hamming it up for the camera. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's 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 fascinating to me, though, that the the level of kind of um, drive or work ethic that people in creative industries need to have to get to get over the hill or the hump to be successful and then once they are successful it's very difficult to turn that off or or diminish it and dim it in any way and she's like a perfect example of that of somebody who's really really driven almost to the point of self-flagellation or or self-inflicted injury i mean i'm kind of the same way 
um, where like I won't take care of myself in the way that I should because I'll just sit at a table working on a book for, you know, nine months without moving and my, my joints don't work right. And I, my wrist clicks or, you know, whatever the fuck it is, it's happening. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how, that's pretty much how Jim Henson died. I mean, part, part of it is that he was a Christian scientist. So he just like, didn't believe in taking medications or getting surgeries or whatever, but also he just, he had, he had like, even for that time, he had a very easily treatable condition that could have been fixed with like just taking some antibiotics, but he just like didn't want to stop working or like tell anybody about it or bother anybody with it. And he just like died. I didn't know that. I thought he had cancer. What, what did he die of? Uh, he had like a like a blood infection or something like that. Um, and he, and he, he could have, he could have taken care of it by taking simple over the counter penicillin, but he didn't and he died. That fucking sucks. Uh, Yeah. He died. He died from toxic shock syndrome. Wow. Which I actually did. I didn't know. I didn't know that men could get toxic shock syndrome. God damn. That fucking blows. Um, but on a, on a slightly related note. Yeah. Muppets, uh, Jim Henson died of severe pneumonia caused by a rare complication from a common bacteria. That fucking sucks. On a slightly related note. I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but there was whenever I was living in Santa Cruz, I had a newspaper route. And basically I, this was my, this was my job. I had gotten it because a friend of, or a coworker of my uh, girlfriend at the time, she had this paper route as like a secondary job. And number one, she was, I think she was trying to get rid of it or get out of it, but also, you know, they're always looking for people. So I'm sure she could have gotten me a job even if she wasn't quitting. But she was like, oh, yeah, I, I can train you and you can basically just come and get this job whenever I had first moved there. So I went and trained to do this. And I this this was my job while I lived there. And it basically you just, you know, from the from the, between the hours of like midnight and three in the morning or whatever, you just deliver, go around in your car and deliver papers to this route. And I was delivering papers one night and. I was, I was driving through this townhouse complex that had a bunch of papers that needed delivery. And it was on this hill, this incline going up as I was driving. And I was, my car at the time, uh, I was, I was driving and I threw a paper and people, people will like go on vacation and they'll, you'll get a little sheet of paper that's like, oh, this person's on vacation. So they don't get their paper right now. And they give you like exactly the amount of papers that you need with very little room for error. Like they don't give you many extras. So you kind of need everything that you have, especially the secondary papers, like the main paper you have extras of, but like the ones where it's like Wall Street Journal or whatever, like you have exactly as many as you need. And so I threw a paper and then I think I like realized like immediately after I threw it, like, oh, that person's ha- is set uh, as vacation. So I actually need that. So I th- I threw my my e-brake on my car and I jump out of my car to grab this paper and I turn around and my car is just rolling down this hill. Oh no. And I and I guess I guess what happened was the the e-brake was broken. It had it had broken. Um I don't know if it broke then or if it was already broken or something like that, but the e-brake just didn't work. And so my knee-jerk reaction of what just my instinct was I ran, um, I ran behind the car and tried to physically stop it, but it, it was, it had gained enough of momentum to where I, there was no way I was going to be able to physically stop it. Like if it, if it was just barely starting to roll, like maybe could have, but, 
um, it was just, it was going too fast for me to physically stop it. So I'm like trying to push it just as a knee jerk reaction. And then I'm in it. The, the, the car has like rolled inward and it's rolling back and it's about to these townhouses were like up the actual, the actual houses were above garages. So along this street, it's all garages. And then the houses are above them. So it starts rolling inward and it's about to crash into one of these garages. And so right at the last moment, as it's like rolling back, I'm like, Oh, I, I'm, I can't stop this. So I jump out of the way, right? As it is going to crash into this garage and the door was open because I had jumped out of the car and left the door open. So as I jumped out of the way of from behind the car, the door of my car caught my ear as I'm jumping out of the way. And I don't even notice this because it's just, a, you know, the heat of the moment. I didn't even realize it was happening. It happened until later on. But I jump out of the way and my car just like crashes into this garage and just like destroys it. Oh my God. And I'm like, I it, like it all happens in an instant. I'm like, what the fuck? And so as just a complete fight or flight reflex, I just get in my car and drive away. <laughs> I just, I just like, I just leave and I'm driving down the street and I'm like, obviously kind of like in shock and like freaked out. I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck? Um, and eventually I notice as I'm driving and just kind of like, you know, uh, just total, um, adrenaline, but I'm, I'm like, I don't know if I'm like, I don't know if I felt something or if I was touching or something like that. Or I, I, I feel like if I remember correctly, I just started noticing that I felt like there was something wet or something. And I essentially eventually noticed that my ear had been like sliced in half. What? Like the door, the door had caught the edge of the door had caught my ear as I was jumping out from behind the car. And it like my ear was just sliced in half. Like it was just like a piece of ear was just hanging down. Wait, are you are you talking? Are you saying that the door cut you around the back of the ear? So your entire ear was forward or it around, around the side. So the top of your ear was like hanging down the second one. Yeah. Wow. It was just, it was just, it had been like the ear had just been sliced in half by this, just the force of this thing. And there was, there was too much adrenaline for it to hurt, or maybe it didn't hurt that bad at all. I don't know, but I don't know how sensitive that skin is, but it didn't, I didn't really notice it and it didn't really hurt until I like physically realized it was happening. I felt it. And so I, I was like, I was like, Jesus Christ, like that's way worse than what I would thought happened. And, but the thing was, is, and whether or not this would have been true or not, I don't know. This might have not actually been a big deal, but the the added context was that the this job doing these paper route deliveries, they sort of had like an unwritten rule that I don't know if I like that friend of my girlfriend's had told me this or if I heard it from somebody else. But essentially, if you missed a night, they would just replace you with somebody else. Like they had so many people that were in line to have this job. Because it was just like, it's just like a, it's a, it's a job that a lot of people in theory want because you can have it as a second job because it takes place in the night. So it doesn't interfere with a day job or it's a good way to have a job at night and have your days open or whatever. So there's tons of people, um, that are, that are just waiting around to have to get a, a spot delivering papers. 
So it was pretty much just like an established thing that like if you fuck up, if you like because because you deliver seven nights a week, like literally, I mean, eventually I'm glad I got away from that job because it was a it was a seven night a week job, rain or shine, no holidays at all. Like I had to de- I had to deliver on Christmas night. Um, but if you miss a day or call out sick or whatever, they'll just replace you. Like they, they just, they'll just fire you and replace you with somebody different. So there's like, there is like no room for you to like miss a night. And so I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to lose my job. I'm mean, like, I can't, I can't just not deliver these papers. So I took a, one of the plastic bags for wrapping the newspapers and I just wrapped my ear in it and I rubber banded it. <laughs> And I delivered the rest of the papers before I went to the hospital. So I, I delivered papers for another like three hours before I went eventually. And it, by the time I was done, it was like daytime. And I and I I went home and I, I woke up my my girlfriend and I was just like, I have to go to the hospital. And so I went to the hospital and, you know, then they sewed it up. And then uh after the fact i was like i was like i was starting to get a little paranoid where i was like oh man what i I feel like there's probably like cameras at that place like i don't want to get like i don't i don't want to get found out to where like they look at footage and get my license plate and then like come and arrest me or something i'm gonna like get ahead of it and this person that i had destroyed their garage they happened to be one of my people on my route so i had their phone number so I called them and I was like, Hey, uh, the, I, that was me. Like I, we, we drove after I got my surgery, we drove by there and we saw that there was cops at the place. And so I, I obviously knew that they knew by then I called and I told them that it was me that did it. And I was like, yeah, I, I deliver papers on your route. And I, this happened where I, I did this thing. I jumped out of my car and my car, the, the brake didn't work and it rolled back and I couldn't stop it. And it did this. And, um, th- I, I left because my fucking ear was like sliced off and I had to go to the hospital to get it fixed. And I just like, I felt it and saw that it was, that it was sliced and I just freaked out and got in the car and drove away, which was a slight lie. But I was like, yeah, I just like, I didn't know what to do. I, I just, I saw that my ear was like sliced in half and I was like, fuck. And I just like jumped in my car and drove to the hospital and I think that they were probably freaked out that I would like sue them or something because they just completely were like, oh, no, it's fine. We have insurance. Don't worry about it. And I just like they just completely let me off the hook and I never heard from them again. Does that have anything to do with the Wiggles? Yeah, you were talking. We were talking about the fact that she was. Oh, 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 the health thing. OK, I was like, I, would the, I mean, not the whole time, because most of the time I was just like, what the fuck? A, how have I never heard this story before? And B, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> but I was expecting a slight more, slightly more tangential or a less tangential link to the wiggles. The thing we were talking about where she like just let that sickness go because she just was too busy working on it. And then we talked about Jim Henson and that was slightly different. Cause I was less of like, I'm dedicated to this. And it was more like, I don't want to get fired, but yeah, man, that's intense. Did, does that, has that impact? It hasn't impacted your hearing or anything, right? Cause it was just like. The cartilage on the outside. I'm, I'm pretty sure the ear is just all. It's just. It's just. It's cartilage. It hasn't. It serves no function other than the shape of it. Um, yeah. Helping sound funnel into your ear. Man, that is intense. What the fuck? Yeah, it was. It was a surreal couple days. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad it didn't like behead you or some crazy shit. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like a, it was just a total like knee jerk reaction of like trying to get behind the car and push it. I totally could have, it could have like tripped me and then I would have gotten run over or crushed. Like, yeah, it was crazy. Man, geez, what the fuck? And that, and I, and I thought about that again years later because that's, that's how Anton Yelchin died. Yep. He got his, his, he put his Jeep into park or, or put the e brake on jumped out of his car it didn't work the the brake didn't engage and it crushed him and against a brick wall and I, I thought about that i was like fuck like that could have totally happened to me i'm glad you didn't get yelchined me too me too man all right r.i.p to big papa yelch but just going back to the documentary though it's, it's interesting how like most of the stuff having to do with the wiggles is real life like they don't feel like people talking about their real lives they feel like characters in a movie about people acting out their real life even that doctor kind of like just parts of that interview just start to veer into like is this guy an actor like like he's got a vibe of being an actor yeah completely and then i told emma she did more for endometriosis in one day than i've done in my entire life (laughs) like dude why are you so excited about this this is kind of weird bro you're, you're a little too into this. Yeah, so basically from here, um, you know, in 2015, Emma becomes so popular that she gets her own show, um, which is just fucking nuts. Which is just a, a, a gritty reality show about her undergoing various surgeries. <laughs> it's Nip Tuck. The Australian <laughs> Nip Tuck. It's with, with her as the main character. Emma, created by Ryan Murphy. Today, we're going to sing Die Dickie Doodum, and we're going to do some Irish dancing. And these are my Irish dancing soft shoes. Aren't they beautiful with all the diamantes on them? <laughs> it's just so funny to me. It's so, the aesthetic of these shows is just so specific. It's the same, it's the same shit. But, you know, now it's just Emma. I was prepared to watch all hour and a half of this. Thank God we're not. Um, and uh, and that's kind of the end of the story. But I feel like we have to discuss the pinnacle of the Wiggles' fame and success and the literal reason of why we're discussing them today. The reason why we're discussing them is because somebody posted a cover off the Triple J show, Like a Version, and it's the Wiggles covering Tame Impala. And that's what got us talking about the Wiggles initially, because somebody was like, how fucking good is this cover by by the Wiggles? This is surreal. And um, so Andrew and I are going to listen to a, a little hey, bit of I'm it. Harry Wiggle. Hi, I'm Emma Wiggle from the Wiggles, and we covered Tame Impala's Elephant. For Like a Version. Wiggles love animals, and so we chose it because we like elephants. And it was kind of a tribute to Tame Impala as well, who are amazingly successful and um, brilliant, as it turns out. We've seen Tame Impala a lot at the Arias. We've not really ever had a meeting, no. per se, but 
we're very much inspired by the band. When we got into it, we didn't realise how complex it would be. Seeing them rehearse not in costume is really funny to me for some reason. But also like on their set with like tiny little chairs. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we still have a lot of contact. We see each other, but I, I don't play with these guys so much. And I was a little nervous because I only made it to one rehearsal. But uh, You yeah, smashed it, it. I did all right. Yeah. Wait, I, if you notice, if you look closely in the video, I've got a whole sheet of notes on the top <laughs> drum because I needed to. Actually, I kept looking at Emma I saying, is that it? Seven, eight, and one, yeah. two, three. Because it is, it's so complex. We wouldn't normally play songs that are like that. No. No, we sort of just... One, two, three, four. <laughs> fruit salad, yummy, yummy. Fruit salad. We wanted to keep it faithful to the original. So the best way to keep it wiggly is. Uh, oh man. Fruit keep salad. it wiggly. <laughs> keep it wiggly, baby. That's their down with the clown. Yeah. <laughs> man, they're going hard with the finger guns. <laughs> That guitar is just so not cool. Yeah, they got all the OG Wiggles back for this. Yeah, except for Greg, right? He's not too easily scared. It's so amazing how Emma just like blows everyone off the screen and she's just playing drums like in the corner and she's 10 times more charismatic than anyone else. Yeah, and she's also apparently just, like, doesn't actually know how to play drums and just, like, kind of taught herself just to be in this group. Yeah, she's she's so, so cool. Like, I, I don't... Sorry, Lockie and Murray and Simon. I don't care about any of you. Emma Emma's Emma's the fucking best. So, yeah, the, just the bullet points, which I guess we can tackle in any order, but I just want to close off these open loops is the weird kind of, like, performative nature of their personal lives... Um, how everything that they're involved in feels really sanitized, which obviously is probably out of self-defense because they're worried about being around children. And so they don't want the harder edged aspects of real life to in intervene in that. Um, and also just Anthony Fields in general, his like his DIY hustle and how he basically just willed all of this into being. And then um, I guess the same thing that we talked about on the ICP episode, which is just so cool to me that you just bet on yourself. And if you're willing to work hard enough, you can kind of manifest that. Yeah. And you just, you just keep, you just keep fucking going fruit salad. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Just into oblivion, just unflinchingly staring into the gaping maw of destiny and saying fruit salad, yummy, yummy, motherfuckers. Yeah, and then eventually, you know, Lockie and Emma got divorced, and now who knows what's going on there? Yeah, some some weird no doubt vibes. Where, where's their Where's their like awkward music video where Lockie's singing about how they broke up, and then the music video is like weirdly meta, where it's like about them being broken up and like being awkward around each other, but then they really are broken up, and they're playing themselves in the music video. Where's that? Heartbreaky, ouchie, ouchie. <laughs> but, 
but it's that like it's the it's the it's the wiggles version of the no doubt the don't speak but it's like pared down to that like obvious on the nose version of it where it's just a song that's 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 the lyrics to the song <laughs> and then they, and there's a there's like a little breakdown part where like the music is just still droning in the background but they start they just talk to the audience and they're just like Lackey and I got a divorce and it's created a lot of weird feelings because we're still in this band together and we have to work and be professional in an environment with the, with each other despite the you know behind the scenes heartbreak that we're experiencing after this you know multi-year relationship and marriage that we had is imploded and crumbled around us but we learn how to power through it and put on a brave face and Smile for the camera as we're dying inside. Hi, Heartbreaky. kids. <laughs> ouchie, ouchie. <laughs> Hi, kids. I'm Lockie. Have you ever cried yourself to sleep at night? No? Well, let me tell you, it's definitely harder when you've jerked off four times in approximately 20 minutes because you know that you can't have sex with the person you love who's sleeping on the tour bus two bunks away from you. Heartbreaky. Ouchie, ouchie. Regardless of how much Emma swears that the breakup was mutual, I didn't want this. Heartbreaky. Heartbreaky. Ouchie, ouchie. ouchie. Look at my face right now. I am like a caveman. Look at her. She's a shining vision of joy. Anyone in this room, and I mean anyone, would cut off their left hand to be with her. In fact... Anthony Field offered to give her ownership of the Wiggles if she date him. One date! Heartbreaky. <laughs> ouchie, ouchie, <laughs> ouchie. The very fact that she at one time validated my existence by agreeing to be with me, and then after that fact, and after that had been established, ended our relationships, thus establishing that she as a person no longer validated my existence, by the transit of property makes me an absolute piece of shit that doesn't deserve to be alive. Listen to my keytard solo. <laughs> Look, all I got to say is Emma fucking rules. Uh, Lockie drools. I feel bad that he has to be in this band and be compared to her because it's just no competition. She's the best. I've just become like over the course of this episode, I've become a huge Wiggles stan and Emma specifically. Uh, but he was the one that cultivated her. He was the one that brought out, brought her out of her shell and pushed her into the upper echelons of talent. Nah, she was always there. That's some that's some some straight white male narrative bullshit of trying to be like she's only good cuz I was here. She went to performing arts school. She was she was a badass. His fucking dorky songs about goats didn't do shit. Heartbreaky. Ouchie ouchie. Divorce papers. Signy signy. Separate residence. Cry cry. She's keeping wags. <laughs> wags belong to the Wiggles, not you. I don't want Henry. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I, I that that video is very surreal. I completely forgot about the Wiggles. I didn't even know they existed anymore. It's very fascinating to learn that there's like they're like this multi-dynasty fucking empire that has like survived through all these years and turn into this like weird 
scalable business. Um, it's really interesting. It's, it feels like it harkens back to like the old like vaudeville acts of like the 1920s. Um, and I, and I, and I, I could only hope to cultivate a fan base, uh, big enough that we could, uh, go on tours and have, thousands of people show up and cheer for us in in every major u.s city on that note i'm dave baker and i'm andrew wiggle (laughs) this has been deep wiggles you can find me online at heydavebaker.com or you can find my comics action hospital fuck off squad star trek the wiggles the licensed comic uh it's a grim dark and gritty reboot uh from x2 studios or whatever the fuck yeah yeah uh, watch out for my my. You drew the Wiggles comic. <laughs> watch you uh, keep an eye peeled on HBO Max for my collaboration with Zack Snyder, the Wiggles, the movie, the Snyder Cut. <laughs> hashtag release the Lackey Cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hashtag release the Lackey Cut. Uh, Andrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me touring the world, singing songs of fanciful polka dotted sheep to millions of children and you can also find me at dapricerights.com where you can get my book deadbolt ai private eye you can get mystery treehouse investigation agency patches so that you too can be a member of our elite detective agency that globe trots across the world solving supernatural and sometimes satanic crimes by uh going to my website or dave's or the official merch store for deep cuts at deepcutspod.com Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by Dad Beats. You can listen to his podcast, Food Fight, a food discussion podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts. And The Dead Boy Detectives.